So today we have something a little bit different. Uh, we not only have one speaker, we have three speakers. Um, so today we have Jordan and Cindy and Pastor Gary who are going to be um, giving their own personal point of reflections on the text. Um, and then Pastor Gary will come up and just wrap it all up in one nice little message. So can we give Jordan a, a round of applause? Yeah, I have the privilege of, of reading the scripture for us today. Uh, and it comes from Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Uh, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. It's the word of the Lord. Uh, as Caitlin was saying, I've also been asked to share a few personal reflections on this passage. And, uh, you know, for me, it, I, I've read this passage before, but I think for a lot of times when I read scripture, I get to the end of it and I'm like, uh, I wish it was longer. And I wish it was longer because it doesn't answer all of the questions that I have at that moment. So, for example, uh, Jonah was swallowed by a fish. People ask the question, what kind of fish, right? So my dad's a fisherman. He'd probably like to know. Maybe not to catch it. Uh, another one, Jesus feeds the 5,000, okay? What kind of bread was it? That's my type of question. But when I read this passage... The, 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 the one that I key in on is like when Joseph wakes up from that dream, in that very moment, right, the scripture says, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. I would love to know what went through his mind at that second, right? Because we know some things about Joseph. We know that he's a just man, right? So he wouldn't put uh, Mary to shame. And apparently from his follow through of this dream, we know he's really obedient. But I want to know was it hard for him, right? Like, did he come to this, uh, this question and it's like, no, no problem. This is it. This is the right decision. I'm doing it. Or did he wake up and did he, yeah, did he struggle with this decision, right? Was, was he thinking about it all week before he finally decided, yeah, I'm going to obey this? Um, and I don't know, like, for me, the reason why that sticks out to me is like, gosh dang it, Scripture makes it seem like it's so easy for Joseph to make that decision, which is so far away from my experience of what it's like to make big, life-changing decisions. Uh, and so that's, that's a little bit frustrating for me. Uh, because I don't know about y'all, but for me, obedience doesn't exactly come easy all the time. Like sometimes, sure, uh, you know, you, you come across a decision— and uh, the Lord makes it really clear, and you obey. 
But sometimes also, like, if I can be real, obedience is hard, and it's joyful, absolutely. There's a lot of times when obedience is joyful, but sometimes it's, like, just bitter. It's, like, it just feels like I have to do this thing. Um, and so there's part of me that's, like, looking at the scripture and that's looking at Joseph and is hoping that it's going to tell me that, obedient, that it's okay for obedience to be hard. That it's, like, okay for, it's, like, it's valid for me to struggle in obedience. Or that, like, my struggle in obedience is... Um, is meaningful, right? Like the same way that when I read uh, Mark and I learn about the father that has the demon-possessed child and he's like, I believe, help my unbelief. Like I want to resonate with Joseph in that way in his struggle to obey. But that's not exactly where the passage goes. So I can't go there. And so what I've realized is that the point of the passage is not so much, it's not a commentary on whether obedience is hard or whether it's easy. But what it is saying is that obedience to God was right. That Joseph was right to say, sorry, Joseph was right to be obedient to the angel of the Lord, whether or not he struggled with that or not. And so actually, that's where I find that Joseph's example actually speaks, oh, Joseph's example of obedience actually speaks to my plight, right? Because it says, if obedience is right, then any of my soul that is spent towards that obedience is very meaningful, actually. That no matter how easy or hard or even, like, gray certain decisions are, that it's worth every ounce of effort to wrestle with myself along that path of obedience, not just at its destination. And, and that's encouraging to me because it tells me, not as an excuse to be like, oh, that means we can, like, kind of struggle and count that towards a jar of holy points, but like, like true, like real earnest attempts to obey God are in and of themselves meaningful and they can be God-honoring. Um, and so I'm encouraged by that, by that simple truth that as it was right for Joseph to obey, so it is for us to lean on God and to obey his commands even when sometimes they seem difficult or they feel difficult. So thank you. Hello. Hi. Uh, my name is Cindy, and um, I'm going to share with you guys a little bit um, as well about how this passage spoke to me. I'm going to read because I think otherwise I might get too nervous. Uh, when I read this passage, to be honest, it took me a while to figure out what I wanted to say or focus on. I tried reading some commentary some blogs, even considered listening to a sermon. But in the end, I decided to reread the passage and pray and see what God would say to me. Um, What stuck out to me right away is actually not explicitly stated in this text, but what stuck out to me was that the situation Mary and Joseph in was really hard. Uh, Imagining the personal struggles they must have had within their own relationship, the extended family and the outside community looking in had to be overwhelming. The facts here are Mary is pregnant out of wedlock and the baby is not Joseph's. 
Joseph must be bothered by this, as would any man, even knowing who the child is. I'm sure he feared what everyone else was thinking or assuming. The family members were likely embarrassed by the situation and likely didn't have a way to explain to the outside community that would make any sense. The community gossip and slander likely traveled like wildfire. Oh my gosh, did you hear about that girl Mary? She's supposedly a virgin, but she's having a kid, and it isn't even Joseph's. Um, so when I was younger, I struggled, and still do, with the fear of man. I remember being in the first grade, and we needed to wear white shoes for our uniform. Of course, my mother thought it would be cute to buy me white shoes with a few glitter studs. And in re retrospectively, they were cute, but I was horrified. I was self-conscious all day, and when the principal came up to me, my fear of being reprimanded had already taken over. Before she could say anything at all, I started crying. Later that day, when I got home, my mom told me she got a call from the principal and um, to ask if I was okay because she only wanted to compliment me on my shoes. <laughs> Something so small, such as glitter studs on my shoes, caused me so much anxiety. Um, whenever I showed up to school, I looked forward to the day my shoes would be too small or beat up that I could get new, plain, white shoes. With something so minor, the fear of man is so powerful, we let it dictate what is, quote, quote, right versus what God has intended or planned for us. So going back to Mary and Joseph, I think it's safe to say um, Mary told Joseph her encounter with the angel and explained that the child inside her womb was the son of God. And ideally, Joseph would have responded, wow, God is allowing me to be the human father um, of um, so the Son of God. I'm so honored. However, that's not actually how it plays out. The fear of man is very present, and Joseph is concerned about how others will perceive the situation. So much so that he's even considering divorce. Thankfully, God sends another angel down to speak to Joseph personally, and so Joseph has a change of heart. This Christmas, um, let's be humble like Mary and Joseph. Let us give God praise that he chose them to be the human parents of Jesus. And instead of fearing man, let us turn to God and his word whenever we're struggling or doubting, knowing that he will guide us and give us the answers. Thank you so much, Cindy and Jordan. Um, how many of you heard that text, that story of Joseph and, uh, and Mary, how many of you just now heard that for the first time in your life? Could you please raise your hand if you heard that for the first time? Okay, unless somebody is shy and not wanting to raise their hand to be the only person, we have all heard that story before. And so I really appreciate hearing Jordan Cindy's take, a new story, a new take on an old story. Um, but for me, it actually raises up an issue that I have with Christmas. You know, this is our fourth Sunday in Advent. Uh, we're, also, we're also a de facto Christmas series. Um, Pastor Andrew preached at our church last week for the third Sunday in Advent, so thank you very much, brother. Now we're, we're celebrating together, so we love it. Um, but for me, I have to confess, like, I have this issue 
And one of my issues is I tend to zone out when I've heard something uh, already. Like, I don't know if any of you feel this way, but like whenever, whenever somebody tells, this is especially prominent in, uh, in, in, it comes up in Christmas because I would get together with my family and you know there's always that uncle or that grandfather or whoever it is, that cousin, that tells the same story over and over. You know what I mean? Like, oh yeah, this is the story about the bicycle and there it is. And my eyes just sort of zone out. This is even true like in my marriage. Like my wife and I have been married for 22 years. And so we've heard all each other's stories. So it's pretty common for us to be at a function together and we're like listening. And we're like, oh, you know, here's the story about this. And I conveniently find someone else to talk to. You know, you've heard it before. But she does it to me too, so it's okay. Um, So when it comes to Christmas, I have heard these stories before forever. And um, it's, it's really hard to sort of get something new out of it. So to be really honest, a lot of times, like, worship in church, hearing the stories that we all say are so precious and so beautiful. You know, like Caitlin said, like, this is God with us. Isn't that exciting? And, of course, I pretend it is. But a lot of times I'm like, yeah, I've heard that before. That's what I'm actually. And so I'm thinking about something else. Um, sometimes it's the holiday season, and so I'm thinking about Star Wars, whatever it is. It's ironic that, it's ironic that the best Christmas present I ever got was, uh, was this was, I was seven years old. Star Wars had just come out. By the way, I think Star Wars is the best thing to come out of the 1970s. Um, but I got this record. It was vinyl, right? It was like 33 and a third RPM. And it like played the entire soundtrack of the movie. Like everything. Um, and so I know like, all, and I played that so often. For some reason, I was not bored in hearing that story over and over again. That was pretty exciting. Uh, And I I remember like little details because I've heard that record so many times. But I feel like when it comes to the Christmas stories, I often feel like I've heard this before. Um, Now I will go for a a quick hunt for my notes. I carefully put them up here, and here they are. All right. So if any of you can relate to me, um, you might also feel like, all right, these stories are beautiful, but I've heard them before, and there's something in our heart that just checks out a little bit. Um, if you can relate to me at all, uh, I'd like to, um, I think the theme I'd like to focus on is this idea of hearing old stories in a new way. Hearing old stories in a new way. And that's because God is always doing something new. This actually reminds me of my friend um, Glenn, who was a good friend of mine while I lived in Boston. Uh, and Glenn uh, was, he lived in Michigan most of his life, but his family was from West Virginia. Now that's a part of the country I know nothing about. But what he said is that in West Virginia, families love to tell stories. And when you get to so go back to West Virginia for Christmas, you know, that's where he'd go at coal mining country. And he said he just loved it because families would bring out all all their old stories. And I'm like, that sounds terrible. How can you survive that? He's like, I love it. And here's why. Because the tradition in West Virginia is to retell the old stories, but to change them up just a little bit. To bring in a new angle. Maybe make some stuff up. Whatever it is, right? But there's always a fresh angle. So Grandpa's old story about the fish or whatever it is, it always has a new angle, and you're always, you always sort of love to hear it again. Like for Glenn, being in Christmas and hearing those old stories again, because there were old stories in a new way, was a little bit like me with that Star Wars record. Like, tell me again. Tell me again the number of, you know, like when, 
Han Solo and Princess Leia are stuck in the trash, and, and, and uh, Luke are stuck in the trash collector. Um, the number of the cell block that they're in is 9463827. You can Google it. It's true. Because I, I've heard that so many times and I loved it. How can we hear the story of Christmas, those old stories, in a new way so that we love them as much as I love that Star Wars record? What can that look like this year? And I think the key for me came when I realized God is always doing a new thing, and there's always a new way to hear it. And I was struck by, after I began to follow Jesus, I was struck by the words of the hymn that we sung this morning. Uh, Veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with us to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. And I remember that after I had begun to follow Jesus, the first Christmas after I made a commitment to Jesus that summer, I remember singing that song, and it blew my mind. Because, again, like Caitlin said, it was so true to me. Like, the Godhead is present in Jesus, and he is pleased with me to dwell, as messed up and as angsty and as lonely as I was, that God is pleased to dwell with me in Jesus. And I was struck by how I had sung that song because I had to go to church growing up. I had sung that song so many times. But that moment I realized this is true, that God is with me right now. And I just began to weep. I began to weep over a Christmas carol that I had sung so many times that I had memorized it without even knowing it. Because it was a new way of singing an old song. Um, let's look at the text again. Uh, and, and, well, let's actually put up the text. This is the, uh, the New Revised Standard Version. This is an old story in a new way in several levels, actually, as we can see um, from the beginning of the text here. Um, Let's put that up. Um, I'm going to actually skip past this. We've actually talked about Joseph. Let's jump to the next next couple of verses here. Um, This is is striking because it talks about how um, the angel says to Joseph that Mary will bear a son... And you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. We think we know what that means. We've heard that many times, but actually we don't. Because back in the day with these faithful Jewish people, to save his people from their sins meant to free them from the Romans so that Israel be done with exile. They would be done with their oppressors. Um, For some of us, that might feel a little bit like voting Trump out of office. Sorry, I don't need to get political. Just trying to give a sermon illustration. They were trying to vote Caesar out of office. They were trying to, like, save his people from their sins. And Israel was still in their sins as long as they were in exile, as long as this tyrant Caesar in Rome was over them. And so the angel basically told, uh, basically told Joseph that day that your son is going to free Israel politically from the rule of the Romans. That's how they all heard it, right? That's how they, the old story that they had heard um, and then let's continue, because then Matthew tells us that there's a, uh, in, the next, in the next couple of verses here, Matthew tells us that all this had taken place to fulfill what the Lord had said through Isaiah. Um, and again, it's the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. They shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. That's a prophecy about Jesus, right? Actually, it wasn't. Originally, that was a prophecy to King Ahaz, who was one of the bad kings back in the day. And he, there, were, there were like all these wars going on. And the prophet was reassuring him that he would have a son and that God would be with him if he would obey. And he didn't obey. And it was a big mess. And he died ignominiously. But his son, Hezekiah, was a good... Anyway, this is what this text was originally about. 
But what Matthew tells us is, you know that old story? You know, Jesus is actually going to fulfill this in the fullness of time. That Jesus is not just like some new king being born at some particular time, but Jesus is the embodied presence of God with us in a permanent and amazing way. Um, But if we look even deeper into the Gospel of Matthew, we can actually see that the idea of Emmanuel is even deeper. Let's skip to the, uh, skip the next uh, sermon slide and go to the last one here. This is how the Gospel of Matthew ends. Uh, one more, sorry. You probably know this too. Probably most of you have seen this, that Jesus has died. He has been raised from the dead. He is about to ascend into heaven, and he talks to his disciples one last time. And he tells them, I mean, you know, all this stuff that probably many of us know, I'm going to skip to the end. He says, he calls them and all of us to spend the rest of our lives teaching each other to obey everything that I have commanded you. Joseph was an exa- as Jordan said, Jordan is, uh, as, um, Joseph is an example of doing what Jesus has commanded. Um, and Jesus is saying, yeah, obeying everything I have commanded you, and if that sounds intimidating, be at peace. Because remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Remember that even as you look at all these new ways to follow me, in the reign of God that turns the world upside down, the upside down kingdom of Jesus, Jesus says, I am with you throughout that all. I am Emmanuel permanently. This is how the gospel ends. So the gospel of Matthew begins and ends with Emmanuel. What are the new ways that we can hear that today and sort of this year? Uh, one of the things, one way that, it, that this idea of Emmanuel was with me, as that, that Emmanuel, Jesus, is with me as I follow Jesus into obeying all the different things that he taught us and the radical life that that leads to. Um, the first little scene I'd like to share with you was uh, from Christmas caroling last night. A bunch of us got together and we did Christmas caroling and we sang one of my favorite Christmas carols, which is O Holy Night. And this is verse 3 of O Holy Night. Listen carefully. Truly taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. shall he break for the slave is our brother and in his name all oppression shall cease thank you that's beautiful how many of you know that third verse you guys know that one did you know that that third verse was a prominent part of the abolition movement this was translated into english in 1855 And if you didn't hear the words, the word is truly Jesus taught us to love one another. Sounds nice. One of those things that, that, you know, all the different things Jesus commanded us to do. But again, it's a Christmas carol. His law is love and his gospel is peace. It sounds very nice. And then it gets crazy. Because imagine in 1855 in the United States, singing as a nice Christmas service, at a nice Christmas service, chains shall he break, for the slave is our brother. And in his name, all oppression shall cease. You know, can you imagine a family gathering with the North and the South all together saying, let's sing this nice Christmas carol? 
boy, you talk about awkwardness at a family gathering. Uh, but it was, it's basically saying, like, look, what Jesus taught us, what he, he taught us everything that he taught us to obey, loving your neighbor as yourself. In 1855, when this song was written, what that actually meant was maybe following Jesus at this time. Maybe what that means is really for the first time in human history, we should abolish slavery. Not just be nice to our slaves, but abolish this institution which has existed since the beginning of human existence. Now, granted, race-based slavery in the United States was worse than other versions, for sure. But can you imagine a group of people realizing suddenly that to love our neighbor as ourself, to live out the upside-down kingdom, actually, I think, means to stand up and say that following Jesus, that change shall Jesus break, for the slave is our brother, and in Jesus' name all oppression shall cease. That was hard. In fact, the nation fought a bloody civil war over it just six years later. Um, And in that place, the courage it must have taken, can you imagine if you had been a Christian in that time and you're celebrating Christmas, would you sing this song or not? Would Would you stand up and be an abolitionist? Would you break with some of the rest of your family that's on the other side? Would you stand up and would you follow Jesus? And if you did, wouldn't you then need Jesus to say to you, I am with you always in this. This is going to be hard. And just like Jordan mentioned, this, this obedience is hard. And when you realize at this time, this actually calls for turning something upside down that humans have always done. That's what, that's what God with us means in this moment. So when we sing that song, that's an old, old, old song, but we sing it in a new way. The last example I just want to give is just a story from my own life, uh, Jordan and Cindy shared stories from their life. And in my life, one of the ways that I am hearing the gospel, even this passage, the idea that God is with us in a new way, is actually from the oldest Christmas carol. It's the oldest Christmas carol in the whole Bible. Um, and it's one of these hymns that's embedded in the, gospel, in the, in the epistle to the Colossians. And it's, it's Colossians 1, verse 15 through 20. I would encourage you to read it. And uh, I don't know, if some of you are good at music, put a little tune to it. Because it's a song. It's a Christmas carol, basically. And it talks, it's this beautiful Christmas carol about how Jesus is not just the Redeemer, but he's also the Creator. kind of blows your mind that Jesus is present in creation. And Jesus' redemption, the redemption Jesus brings to us, when Jesus comes to save us from our sins, when Jesus comes to bring his redemption He doesn't just do that for us as individuals or for our individual souls or for our family or for the church. But this passage, it ends, it climaxes by saying that Jesus has come to redeem all of creation, all things in heaven and on earth. So really, as I've been studying this this month, um, it's a brand new idea that Jesus is not just the redeemer, but he is the creator. Jesus has come not just to save my soul and forgive my personal sins. Thank God he has. But Jesus has actually come to redeem all things in heaven and on earth. All things in this good creation that he loves. And so one of the ways that I've been spending Advent this year is I'm writing, uh, I'm doing some writing on how Christians might respond to the climate crisis. And the way that I've been really getting into this is by reading passages like Colossians 1, which is a Christmas carol. And really realizing that for me, at this time, in the late 20th century, one of the things that God is calling me to is to radically care for creation, which is being threatened 
every day by the things that I do, by the food I eat, by the cars I drive, by the planes I fly. And that following and obeying Jesus, who is wanting to restore and renew all things, means that it, I have to think about my carbon footprint for the, in the name of Jesus as an act of obedience. And that God is with me in that. And that, and that this Advent season, that's how I have been meeting Jesus as I step into these acts of obedience and care for Jesus' creation. Just as a quick side note, I've been going to a lot of sort of political action things around climate change, um, and I have gotten to share my faith more than I ever have before. Because people are always, they're like, what do you do? Why are you here? I'm like, oh, I'm a pastor. Of course, we're in the Bay Area, and they're all like, what? And I'm like, yeah, don't you, like, we actually believe that God created the earth and that Jesus was part of creating the earth, and he says it's really good. So I think Christians should be leaders in all of this because we actually believe that God made it and said it's good, and we don't want to mess up God's stuff. And they're like, whoa. And they actually, I've never had a Bay Area person do this before, but they're like, tell me more. (laughs) It's amazing. So I get to share the good news of Jesus around Advent as I step into this kind of faith, as I learn a new way, as I read these texts, and I realize that God is actually with me. And for me, when I'm in those meetings, when I'm sharing the gospel with people, I realize, like, when I, when I do these even small things to mitigate my carbon footprint out of respect, really out of respect for God, and out of respect not just for God, but also for my kids and grandkids, right? Because I care about the unborn, right? I think Jesus cares about the unborn. And so when I think about what kind of world am I passing on to my kids and my unborn grandkids, I'm not that old, Uh, what kind of a world am I passing on? Uh, I realize, I feel like I meet Jesus in that. I know that Jesus is pleased, and I meet him in that place. So when I was uh, a new Christian, um, just reading those words of Hark the Herald Angels Sing for the first time, I never thought that 20 years later, obeying Jesus would mean caring about the climate. But it is. For me, there is always something new that God is doing. So I just want to close by asking you this year, as we read these old texts, as we sing these old songs, as we sing one more old song, what is the new thing that God is doing in you this year?